I had this plan and it was just crumbling right in front of my face. So and I didn't want to kind of wallow in any sadness or confusion, but I, there was a sense of what am I going to do now? This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by MainBiz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, You've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Day That Changed Everything podcast. I'm Renee Cordes with Maine Biz, speaking today with Steffi Amandi, owner of Actual Foods in Portland, a food truck business she started in 2020. Steffi is here to share her fascinating story of how she shifted gears to start Actual Foods and how that business is evolving. Steffi, great to have you with us. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Renee. Sure. So before we get into your business story, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from and where you grew up? I am originally from Kenya. I was born in Kenya and I lived there until I was about 16. And then I moved to Zimbabwe with my family. That's where I completed my high school. And then I went to Holland for college uh, to study international business administration and then my family was moving to the U.S., so um, through that time, I moved with them and found myself in Portland, Maine, and I have been here ever since. <laughs> Great. Well, obviously, um, you come a long way from, from <laughs> Zimbabwe and Kenya to, to Portland. So tell us about why, why did you go to college in the Netherlands? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. I think it was part me trying to carve my own path, you know, go to a place where I didn't speak the language, I didn't know anyone, and kind of try and find my voice there. But also, it was an interesting program that they had. It was international business, and, uh, you know, 40% of the students were slotted to be international students. So I thought it was a good opportunity to network and meet people from different cultures. And the school that you went to, the Rotterdam School of Management, uh, how did that get on your radar? I actually have no idea. <laughs> I think I was, <laughs> <A> looking, <chance. laughs> I was looking at colleges in Europe because my first choice was where to go to the UK for college. And when that didn't work out the way I wanted it to, I was looking into, into Europe and it popped up and they were teaching in English, which was helpful. <laughs> it just worked out. So it was great. You told me before, between high school and college, you had a little food business, right? Selling hot dogs. So what can you tell us about that? <laughs> um, that was a funny story. Uh, so because the system in Zimbabwe, uh, the year ends in December and my college was starting in September, I had all this time. And something about being idle was just not sitting right with me. So I called my dad up and told him to or asked him to buy me a grill so I could sell hot dogs. <laughs> and and um, how do you come up with that idea? My kid brother, actually. So uh, being at home, 
you know, all day I would like make snacks and I would make me and him hot dogs. And he was just like, oh my gosh, you know, you could totally sell this. And I was just like, you know what? I could. (laughs) So I called my dad up and um, got a grill and literally, you know, restarted a couple of event organizers and we were on the road. It was pretty easy and we did it for, you know, a couple of months and it was fun at the time. Um, Just something to keep me busy. It wasn't something I was like trying to pursue. It was just like a fun project. Right. And you were doing that hot dog stand where exactly? In Kenya. In Kenya. Yes, and well, how was business? How did business go? <laughs> you know, honestly, at the time I was kind of still young. So um, I didn't think I was happy that anyone was even buying the hot dogs and, you know, that people actually wanted us at the events. But it was fun. And we made enough money for me to, you know, take my family out. <laughs> and it was great. And speaking of food, I know that you also co-founded uh, an organization, the International Culinary Business Association at your, in Rotterdam to promote healthy eating. So what was that all about? So because I had you know, joined the college and I was seeing people eating whatever they were eating, I thought to myself, one, there hasn't been a culinary association where I can go and you know, pursue my passions or you know, learn more about the industry. But two, is there a way we can change this narrative around food um, with college students? So I went to the, what do you call them, the school counselors? And I was like, I'd like to start this organization, you know, want to promote it. And they were happy to help me. And uh, we had like 30 students sign up for it. And we had the whole shebang. And we ended up catering for a really big event, actually. And it was kind of my first foray into having people eat my food and have it be something I've like collaborated with students to do. And it was nice. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Great. And did you ever think that you could, you know, make a living doing something like that, you know, from that experience or? I think at that point it was still fun. I mean, I've always known that I wanted to do something in the food industry from way back when, you know, I've started blogs and I've written about food and I've enjoyed cooking it. So I knew I would, but I never thought I would do it at any point while I was still young. You know, I thought it was something far off in the future. Maybe I'd pursue other things and then have that be my retirement plan or something. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, fate works in mysterious ways, but we'll get to that a bit later. So after school in Rotterdam, what was your next move? Okay, so at that point, I was still in college and my mom was moving to the United States. And she asked me, you know, are you going to learn the language in Holland when you graduated? Are you going to move back to Kenya? And I mean, America is like the land of opportunity. So I was kind of like, I'll piggyback with you and I'll come. And um, we moved here. But to be honest, I had no idea where Maine was on the map. (laughs) I had not. Many people do. (laughs) Right. Yeah, we landed here in 2016. And in fact, when I landed here and it was really snowy, I thought I was going to leave immediately and kind of better, greener year pastures, but uh, I've been here ever since, and it's been great. Good time to arrive. So what, what was your, can you tell any more about your first impression of Portland? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really bad storm, so it was very cold. I remember thinking we were driving down, what do you call it, 295? Yeah, and we're going to for one day, and I was just thinking everything is so flat. You know, there are no tall buildings or anything. So it was, <laughs> it was interesting. But then, in reading about Portland and finding out that you know they have this great culinary industry, and you know they have, it's like it wasn't foodie city at the time, but you know we had so many restaurants that I could write about and eat at. Um, was great. You know, it was kind of like okay, I could make this work. <laughs> 
So that was something you discovered after arriving here. After arriving here. <laughs> right. And then, so you were initially living with um, your parents, I believe, in Portland. And you were eager to start earning money and earning a living quickly after that? Yes. Moving here, I kind of just wanted to be independent from the get-go. So I took a job at Barber Foods and I was a production worker. And, you know, we had to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and, you know, make it there and it was cold. But I did that. And then I took another job at Kate Maid Bakery right down the road and did that on the weekends. I was working two jobs for... That must not have been easy. (laughs) No, I mean... I, I must say, though, it was my first job that I've ever had in my life. So it was a good, it, it, it was just good to dive right into the deep end and kind of know what hard work is about. And I got to learn that at that point. And, and of course, you were of working in, in food. <laughs> at the time, I wasn't thinking about it like that, to be honest. You know, I was just thinking I need some work and I need to get my own place and stand on my own two feet. So it was natural, I guess. I didn't know I had it in me, to be honest, though. (laughs) Sometimes you don't know until you try. So then you also, you later um, pursued another career in in the banking sector. I believe you started as a teller, right, at at TD TD Bank in Portland. So what was that job like? That was, I think that was my first, that was the first time I was ever challenged because one, I am from a different culture and two, you know, I was like in this, place where I didn't know anything about the banking industry going into it. And so um, it was challenging. It was great to because I love talking to people and I love building relationships. So that part came naturally. But um, the, the side where I had to kind of navigate my way through a different culture was was interesting. <laughs> So tell me then about the business idea that you came up with, um, you know, while while working uh, in banking. So the first one, when I was still at TD Bank, that was Talender. And, and Talender was a platform where, you know, companies could post projects online and students could do them as a form of work experience. So virtual internships. And I think at the time I was way ahead of my times, but today. <laughs> that was work out great today. today. <laughs> right. So that's what I was doing at the time, but it didn't work because I guess, you know, the whole unpaid internship thing did not sit well with some people. So then now coming, now fast forward, uh, one, being at Morgan Stanley is kind of building your own business too, you know, being a financial advisor. But um, on the flip side, there's still this inkling or this thing at the back of my head that's saying, you know, you have this passion, what are you going to do with it? And so I had met Doug, who ended up being the investor in actual foods. And uh, he he owns some farms and, you know, works in the fisheries. And we really connected on sustainability. So I would work on some marketing plans for him. And I would work on some business plans for him to kind of expand his business on the side. You know, this was just something I would do at night for some extra money. We had talked about a meal kit solution, you know, to get people healthier. And, you know, like millennials these days, don't know how to cook or, you know, don't have the time to cook. So we talked about meal kits. And, and this was in, in roughly what year? This was a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. No, this was last year, uh, last 2019, year. Okay. 2019. Yes. Okay. Um, so before pandemic, you were already thinking <laughs> of meal kits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so um, it was going to be costly. And, you know, looking at the market too, there was HelloFresh and all these on the market. And I was talking to my brother, who's kind of my advisor, my older brother, who's kind of my advisor. And he was saying, you know, Steffi, if you really want to change something fundamental in the food industry, why don't you start with orange juice? 
And I, you know, it did not make sense to me, but he gave me all these facts about pasteurization and everything. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll pursue it. So I went and bought an orange juice machine and I made some orange juice and I hated it. It was a terrible- Where did you find the machine? At Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) Just one of those like squeezing ones. Um, Okay. <laughs> and I did not like it. And so I put that to the back burner. I told him, like, good try, but it's not going to work. And so everything kind of shut down for a while. And then in December, um, I decided to revisit the idea. I was like, okay, let me get this orange juice machine out. Let me see what I can do. And I made some juice. And um, a friend at the time was saying, you know, if, if you could make it something more interesting that people would want to drink. So, you know, we twice filtered it. And And we added some clementine juice in it and it was so tasty. So I was like, let me take this to a couple of restaurants around town and see if they would want to get this into their menu. And some were interested, but because I was doing it with this Walmart machine, (laughs) it was too expensive (laughs) and I could not justify the cost. So I needed to find a way to do it in a more efficient way. And so that's when the idea for having a brick and mortar store came. But then so your own place, your own business, yeah, my own place to kind of deliver this orange juice to people, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, from a business perspective, a shop that's solely selling orange juice would not probably work, but that was the only way I could get it to market. So I was like, well, I'll need to sell some food, <laughs> okay? And so so then, juice plus food, yes, exactly. And um, so that's when I started thinking about, you know, how would that work and what would that look like. Right. And then how did, what was the next step after that? You know, did you get a name for your business and how did you go about finding a location? At the time I was still working. So (laughs) so I was kind of thinking, you know, what is this really going to look like if you're going to have a store? One, my friend at the time was saying, you know, like, what, what are you trying to sell? And I was like, I'm trying to sell juice, but I don't want to use my name in it or anything. And he was like, well, you're selling like, real juice like actual juice and it just something clicked in me and i was like yes that's exactly what i'm selling actual juice and (laughs) right and hence the name right and so then that easily translated into actual foods um when i was thinking about you know clean eating fresh eating uncompromised so i started going through the process of getting serve safe certified because you have to do that and going through setting up an llc all this while I was still working. Uh, but then at some point, I think Kobe Bryant died and it, it lit off something in my head that was just like, you know, like if, if not now, when? You know, like, you know, you can do the banking, you can work in finance and you can always come back to it. But you know, what if you just tried your hand at it? And so I started putting my ducks in a row to leave work and uh, set up this store and you know, I, one night I just like wrote a menu down. I was like, what would I want to eat that's fast, you know, and I can pick up and go home and heat up. And so I wrote- And what was on that menu? Oh my gosh. Uh, I think I even still have the paper somewhere. Uh, (laughs) It was, there was zucchini noodles, there there was sea potato, and there was, and there was rice, not wild rice at the time, but there was rice. And then there was ground turkey, which I was really, it's one of my favorite proteins. Um, and there were mushrooms and there was beef and chicken. But I remember talking to my mom and my mom said, you can't have two, pro, two poultry on the menu. And then there was spinach and kale and there were sauces. I still hadn't figured out the veggies, but it was a very simple menu that I was like, if someone can 
make any combination out of these, it would still taste good, you know, mm -hmm. and it would be affordable. And so I, the next day I took it to Doug who had been working on the business plans with, and I was like, this is something I would want to do. And you know, this is how it looked like, this is how it worked. You know, like, sure, we can go ahead with it. So it was very scary, but I was, it was time for me to leave my job <laughs> and do that. And so I made that leap. What about finding a, a place for, for the business? I guess that would be the next step in, in this uh, plan. Mm -hmm. So finding a place for the business was interesting because that search, I guess, had started even before I had thought of like leaving. When I was looking at places to sell the orange juice still, and there was a space on, next to Chipotle on Marginal Way that I was really dying to get into because I just thought it was so prime and it was affordable. And so I looked at that space, but it had gone off market. And so the day before I went to leave my job, I like asked the universe for a sign. <laughs> You know, like tell me that I'm on the right path. And I went back on, you know, the, the listings um, in Portland and that space had come back onto market. I was like, this is the sign. And so I felt more comfortable. And so I left. But then that place just needed so much build out. So I had to go back to square one and I found another space on Congress Street, right opposite the State Theater, which, you know, was perfect for the food I was trying to serve. It had good food traffic. <clears throat> And it was small enough, you know, and I could kind of uh, manipulate it in a way that would work for what I was trying to do. So um, I settled on that space and I thought it was going to be great. <laughs> right. And so when did you sign the lease? The broker sent me the letter of intent. I think it was March 18th or something. And, you know, this is after negotiating and, you know, getting the price down to somewhere that, you know, worked for both of us. And I was so happy because, you know, I finally had a space. And I read the letter of intent and I was going to sign it and send it back. And then the next day, Portland, Maine said their restrictions and there was a lockdown. Not great timing. No, no, <laughs> no. But the, the ignorance in me was still saying this could work. <laughs> I think it was kind of a, a mix between denial and, you know, like really wanting something. So I thought it would still work. And, you know, I, was still working with the contractors. I would still go with my mask on <laughs> and, you know, hope for the best. But at some point, you know, it just, it did not make sense because there was just no way I was going to be able to build it out and have enough people to justify the costs. There, there must've been like a lot of emotions going through, through your mind at this time. <clears throat> yeah, because at the time I had left my job <laughs> and, you know, I had this plan and it was just crumbling right in front of my face. So I, I, I definitely know, I mean, I didn't want to kind of wallow in any sadness or confusion, but I, there was a sense of what am I going to do now? Right. And then, so, you know, how long did you sort of, you know, contemplate before you decided what you're doing next? I think what I really did, which really helped me was I decided to just put that whole idea aside and, you know, not think about it for a while. So, you know, I, enrolled in an online course. I was like, no one gets this kind of time away from work. So I enrolled in an online course. I learned how to play guitar. And I just took time for myself to figure out what my next move was going to be. It was a great time. I read so much. <laughs> I had, I had borrowed like five books from the library just before they closed down. So it was, it was a great time. So probably two months. Um, I know April and May, I was just taking time for myself. Right. And then at some point you hatched an idea for another food business, right? So how did that plan originate? 
in the course of you know this whole time away from everything i would take a book and go to the eastern promenade because that's all there was to do at the time um, <laughs> <laughs> and i would go to the eastern promenade and just you know set up camp and read and one day i was out there and i was talking to my friend and you know she sent me this i was telling her i really need to start thinking creatively about what i'm going to do you know this holiday cannot last forever and she gave me the best advice ever she said you know Steffi, the good thing with what you were trying to do is that you can do it in any format even in a food cart and you know if you can do it on your own that would be even better and i was like oh my gosh you are crazy <laughs> but the the other thing that happened which was so serendipitous is you know i looked behind me i'm lying on the eastern palm and i look behind me and there's this food cart food truck ish and it is cousin's main lobster and they're right there and i'm like is this a sign <laughs> and so i go up to the food to the vendors and i'm asking them you know how it is running the the business and um you know they're like it's fun and they weren't the owners uh and they gave me the card to talk to the owners you know they were like you want if you have any more questions they were very nice and i was just like i mean i guess i could do this because it is a pandemic and you know people are going to be outside so i went home and i i don't know if i called him or i texted him but i called doug and i was like hey uh, i know the restaurant is done for but could you give me a loan to buy a food truck because between the time on the eastern prom and the time i got home i had already looked online and seen a food truck that was you know a good option and doug was like hey i mean right now it's hard to spend money on anything but you know what i do have a food truck somewhere that i could give to you and it was just mind blowing and everything worked out from there <laughs> great so the start of a very busy new chapter for you. Yep. We'll now take a very short break and hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll talk a bit more about how you regrouped and got actual foods literally off the ground. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. I would work probably 16 hours a day because we would somehow sell out during the day and then be caught in gear light. So we had to spend until 5 a.m. prepping for the next day and just hoping that we don't sell out, but hoping that we do at the same time. <laughs> are talking to Steffi Amandi of Actual Foods about how she started that business last year during the pandemic shutdown. Steffi, you were just telling us about how your plan quickly changed from a bricks and mortar place to now a food business on wheels. And you found a truck that you could use. So what happened next? How did you make this happen? So first of all, finding the truck. <laughs> so yeah, so um, Doug had said that he had the food truck that was laying around in Bass Harbor and you know he could bring it down and I could use that. At this point, I'm thinking to myself, well, now I have a food truck, but I don't really have funding. So I'm going to need to look for that part because now my savings are going to need to carry me throughout the whole year. Um, and so I reached out to Burham Savings Bank, whose score had 
uh, score Maine had referred me to back when I was still looking at the restaurant and uh, quickly got to working with them. But I also worked for the small business administration and was helped with my business plan. So they refined it to make sure that, you know, everything made sense, the numbers worked and I could actually get funding for this. So it was a lot of, you know, iterations and really thinking critically about how this was going to look, not just this year, but, you know, beyond um, and how I could sustain it. And so one, there was a truck part, which was how are we going to fix this truck? <laughs> on the road <laughs> and what was what, what what was the truck used for before it was used for a hot dog food truck i suppose <laughs> it was called marty's eats and i'd never heard of them before um and so we had to you know scrape off that from that from the truck but then the truck needed so much work to be done in it and luckily there was a garage downtown that doug knew the owner the workers and they were able to fix it up and you know they were so instrumental in teaching me exactly how a truck works. So I feel like right now I could probably do some mechanical work because I learned so much. <laughs> and, and how um, long did it take to get it ready? I mean, did you have to do major renovations? Um, yes, they had to take the whole engine out. So many things, you know, at, on, at first glance, it looked like this was going to be a quick fix, but then really it needed so much work because it had been sitting in the woods for three years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> luckily, I have a younger brother who was so eager and was on summer vacation at the time. And, you know, I got him out of the house and I was like, you're going to work in a food truck. <laughs> and he was just like, a what? And so we spent probably two months, uh, June and July. Yes, we spent two months fixing this truck up. You know, we'd be there every single day. And mind you, at this point, I needed to also think about the business part of it. How is this going to work? And I had never run or worked in an actual kitchen. So I took some work experience at Otto's because I had built a relationship with the owner uh, years ago. And I took a part-time job. So I would go and work on the truck from morning till four o'clock and then go into Otto's from four o'clock to eight o'clock, just learning how to use a dishwasher <laughs> and you know, learning the uh, point of sale system. So it was good experience. and. I did this for two months. My brother and I had a great time. And at the same time, I got the opportunity to really teach my brother because he's up and coming. And so, you know, I would ask him to call the people who were painting trucks and ask for quotes or, you know, just empower him to also start thinking about business in whatever way it was. And we had a great time, uh, but it was daunting, <laughs> I will say. And what was the hardest part of all of this? Okay. Sounds like there so, were lots of hard parts. <laughs> so physically, I think the hardest part was getting the the previous owner's stickers out of the truck because we had to use so many chemicals to get it out because it had been sitting idle for three years. Uh, but then from a business perspective, the, the hardest part was figuring out the licensing and you know how to go about all the paperwork and the bureaucracy of the city. Luckily, you know, because I had experience in relationship building, I had kind of preempted this and, you know, built relationships with the inspectors. So, you know, once it came time to do whatever I needed to do, they were able to just kind of hop on it. So it worked out in the end. Um, I do know every single day I would kind of wonder what I was doing, <laughs> but somehow it was working. So I thought I might be doing something right. And what kind of market research uh, did you do? I mean, did you have to study how many food trucks there were and where their neighborhoods was? So what was that part of it like? 
Um, yes, I definitely did. So I had to, one, learn, you know, what the food truck scene looked like in Portland, but not just the food truck scene. The city has laws on, you know, where you can park the truck. So kind of figuring out how long is my food truck and where am I going to be able to park this? But at the same time, I knew that, I mean, I was, I love the brewery scene in Portland and I knew that that was probably a place that we could also go. So I started reaching out to breweries and, you know, telling them about what was coming. I did talk to some food truck owners as well, but, you know, uh, reaching out to the breweries and really explaining what our vision was and our purpose. And they were like, yeah, you know, we'll keep you in mind or referred me to other breweries. So it was a lot of relationship building at the time, especially for someone who's not been in the food scene at all. <laughs> or um, starting from scratch. Yes. So um, that, in, that was great. And in the food side of it, so you were also coming up with your recipes and menus for your launch. So can you shed any light on that? Because I had this experience, this slight experience in doing marketing before for on the side, um, it was easy for me to go online and kind of know exactly what I wanted the aesthetic of the truck to be. As far as the recipes go, I remember... I would go to my parents' house. I would, you know, go to Hannah Ford and buy the ingredients that I wanted. And I would tell them, you know, like, I'm going to do a menu. So let me know what you want. But remember, this was during the pandemic and it was so hard to get rice. It was so hard to get mm. some of the ingredients. But once I would get them, I would go to my parents' house and be like, this is what I'm going to make. And they would give me the feedback. But the only thing that stayed from the time I was testing these recipes was the ingredients, but the sauces were not the sauces that we have today. Those sauces I worked on the week of open. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, yes, at that point, I was, you know, I knew because I had already told the brewery that we we're going to be open, but things just don't work out the way you want them to. So we'd been pushing back the date. So at some point I knew that we just had to open. Um, so I got in the kitchen and Fork Food Lab was so instrumental in just, you know, like orienting, orienting me with the systems and, you know, with the kitchen. And I had a former coworker come in, help me. We worked on a recipe. She told me which ones tasted like ketchup and she told me which ones were great. And it was amazing for someone who had never really made them before for it to come together that way. I mean, at the, at the time I was very proud of myself. I'll just say that. And I was really proud of my brother as well for stepping up and all the help I received. So you mentioned Fork Food Lab. Um, not all our um, listeners might be familiar with that. It's a shared commercial kitchen and incubator in Portland. So how did you get into Fork uh, Food Lab? I'm just looking for a space to work from. I, not, I knew I couldn't work from home and we don't have many of them and they're doing a great job, not just helping businesses, but really getting them the resources that they need. Um, so, you know, I reached out and they, they followed up with me from the onset onward, they, you know, they did not let me feel like I was on an island by myself. It was, it was very helpful. And so that's where you sort of prepared the foods and, and you could use that right for production. Yes. So you opened your business in July, 2020. What was that day like? On the 24th, uh, I had had my kid brother spend the night with me the night before so we could go over exactly how we we're going to talk about the business and the food to customers. Um, and so when the 24th came, it was all hands on deck. So my sister came down from Orono. Um, my mom was in the kitchen with us washing dishes because we needed to get to the place where we were going to be serving. And this was Urban Farm Fermentary. 
Um, and we were late. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> we were late in the sense that uh, we took too much time getting out of the kitchen to get to the space. And as much as you can prepare and prepare, you just don't know until you're really doing it. And so the fire wouldn't light, for example. <laughs> and so we had to get the mechanic to come down to light the fire for us. Um, it was very hectic, but I will say I was so shocked by the response. I did not even get a chance to look behind me to see how people were reacting to the food because I was so busy just trying to figure out what I was doing at that point because we hadn't had a test run until that point. So. It was a great day. People loved the food. Uh, we had some great reception. And at the end of it, I remember just thinking, like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> this could be something, and now you need to go on with it. What, what, was it a bit, you know, were you feeling a bit of stress uh, because you don't, didn't know what was coming next or didn't know there would be that many people? Yes, I was because I was the only person cooking. Um, and... You know, so I didn't have any chance to even get feedback. But my mom was so helpful because she would run outside, speak to some guests, come back inside and be like, maybe make the portions a bit bigger. And so it was kind of that feedback that led me to really know, well, this is what this is going to look like going forward. You know, because it was a soft opening and it was meant to be just friends and family, but we got more people. And so it was it was a great test run for the business. And then where, what was a, like a typical day or week like, or was there a typical day or week for actual foods? So we decided that we were going to run the truck from Wednesday to Sunday and have Monday and Tuesday to prep for the week and also get some rest because it's very taxing. And um, so we would prep on Tuesdays and then on Wednesdays, we would either have an event at Thompson's Point or we would come to the Eastern Palm and our schedule really changed a lot because we had breweries that we had to go to and we had the Eastern Prom that we really wanted to capitalize on. But also we had some private concert uh, reach out to us, you know, and so, and then we had referrals too. So it was, it was a great mix of things where we were really, one, get finding our footing um, and two, learning the business, you know, and from a business, business perspective, there were places that, you know, we were really keen on going to because we thought we would get great exposure but they just did not translate into the numbers so it was a learning curve in that perspective and um as as the season went by we were able to modify and really consolidate the places that we knew we would get the exposure we wanted but also um have it lucrative enough to justify the cost and how different was this from your you know your hot dog stand that you ran years earlier <laughs> it was different because this one was real you know this one had implications um on the business uh i had taken out funding but also we were serving such a big group of people it wasn't just friends that we were serving so we had a reputation to uphold we had quality standards to uphold and um just learning on the job was hard so it was it was very different i remember the first two weeks I would tell my kid brother, like, I don't actually believe this is my real job. You know, like, I'm not just doing this for fun and then going back to work. This is my real life and I have to make it work. So, so it was, it was a stark difference from anything I had ever done in my life. And the hours were very long. I would work probably 16 hours a day because we would somehow sell out during the day and then, you know, be caught in gear life. So we had to spend until 5 a.m. prepping for the next day and just hoping that we don't sell out. But 
hoping that we do at the same time. <laughs> and so how did the, this was a seasonal business, right? So when did you wrap up for the season? We wrapped up on officially on October 18th, but we did have an event to cater after the fact for Trader Joe's after we closed to the public. So the truck went into hibernation on the 24th, I believe, uh, but the public stopped having us on the 18th of October. And so Steffi, this is a seasonal business. So what are you doing in the off season? Most importantly, we're looking strategically at what actual foods is going to look like in 2021. Whether that is going into consumer packaged goods, the meal kits that we talked about earlier, because our business model allows for that, um, it's going to be easy to transition into that. And then second, we got a really good response from our sauces and people seem to love them. So looking into packaging those for retail um, in a way that doesn't compromise, you know, the freshness and quality and because it still wants to be actual. But third and most importantly, uh, because the original idea of this was orange juice, I really wanted to bring that to people. <laughs> and so we got a really good machine that will allow us to produce it at, at a cost effective price. So those are the three things we're looking to, to make sure that regardless of what 2021 brings to us, we are able to continue operating the business. And the food truck, will it still be around this summer or to be determined? <laughs> that is the hope. <laughs> we definitely, you know, I think people really enjoy the food truck and if you can do it in a way that is more refined, then that would be great. Excellent. So a food truck and a whole lot more. Yes. So this is, sounds like this is just the beginning for actual foods. And now we're going to take a very another short break and hear from our sponsors, and then we will wrap up with some lessons and takeaways from this whole experience. This is not business as usual. Now more than ever, the Norway Savings Business Lending Team is here to help make sure you're still able to do what you do. But let's face it, this is not an easy time. We will get through it together. It's a great comfort seeing the business community in Maine rallying around one another it's our job to rally around you. Norway Savings. Live your life in color. It's going to be hard. It's going to be windy. It's not going to go as planned. But things will work out if you really believe it's going to work out. But you do need to make sure that you have a plan. We are back talking to Steffi Amandi of Actual Foods in Portland and what it was like to start a food business during COVID and shift gears from a bricks and mortars business to a food truck. So Steffi, last year was quite a whirlwind for you and your new business. So can you just tell us again what your thoughts are for 2021? Um, yes, yeah, so we are looking to get into the consumer packaged goods space. Um, translate what we've been able to do into something that people can buy and take home um, for themselves and absolutely bring the orange juice to market and have people drink actual juice. Great. And um, do you think about in the future down the road having more food trucks or some type of franchise model? <laughs> um, I mean, now that I've seen how the food truck industry works, you know, maybe but the ultimate goal would be to get into brick and mortar um in a way that would you know has a steadier flow and steadier predictability um so that is you know 
probably three or five years down the road, we'll be looking to get back to our original plan. Right. Uh, but as you discovered, plans are subject to change. Yes. Uh, so, um, Steffi, what would you say you learned from this whole experience, if you can just boil it to a couple of things from this experience of starting a business and changing the business model before you even started? I think the number one takeaway was resilience. There, there's so much that can happen that is beyond your control, regardless of how much you try and plan for anything, that without that knack for resilience, you might find yourself just shattered or you know, giving up altogether. But uh, the ability to, to change path, but keep the vision the same was so important in us bringing this to market. So resilience, definitely. And the second one is that th things take time and <laughs> good things take time. And so, you know, rushing into something just because you really want it doesn't necessarily translate into success. But if you're able to really be methodical about how you approach things without, you know, getting stuck in this over analyzing things, I would say. Right. So being able to really think about things without getting paralyzed is important. But, you know, being able to know that for you to get where you want to get, things might not always go the way you want them to go. And, you know, it will take time because if we hadn't, if you had just, you know, rushed into signing that lease, then we would not have been able to even survive 2020. And so, right. yeah. And then, you know, like building out a business model that really does work is also hard because as much as it seems like we came up with actual foods in 2020. It really did start in 2019 when we were thinking about meal kits. So um, being able to sit with an idea and really make sure that it's the right move. As someone now who started a business, you know, in a very uncertain time, any advice you would give to a budding entrepreneur thinking of leaving a job like you did and starting a business in any field, you know, what would be your number one tip? I think the most important thing you're going to need to have an unprecedented level of mental fortitude because it's going to be hard it's going to be windy it's not going to go as planned but if things will work out if you really believe it's going to work out but you do need to make sure that you have a plan and that you're able to you know take things in stride and uh, change direction when you need to and you know the ability to discern when that moment is is also going to really uh, help you in your entrepreneurial journey. The Day That Changed Everything is a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI or Main Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The Main Biz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.